Hello, everyone. This is Becoming a Habit. Welcome to yet another Impromptu Talking Feds episode to um, try to analyze yet another indictment. This one against Donald Trump, but 18 other uh, sorry souls who put their lot in with him and now are looking at RICO charges in Fulton County. Uh, we wanted to give this a quick uh, deep dive and we've got a perfect uh, group to join us. The uh, uh, estimable and incomparable Norm Eisen requiring no other introduction. And maybe uh, uh, you you should know, but if not, you're, you'll uh, uh, quickly be learning over as this uh, case comes uh, to market Gwen Fleming, who's with us, who was a former. Do you go Gwen Keys Fleming? Gwen, Gwen Fle Keys Fleming, yes, is yes. your prefer. Thank you. Um, who, among other things, uh, was a uh, the the district attorney in the neighboring county to Fulton County, DeKalb County. So is the perfect uh, person to try to uh, you know give us a. Um, vantage point on where um, Fonnie Willis is coming from. Gwen, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Glad to join you. I wanted to start with a what I think is a kind of a hard question and maybe a little professorial. So sorry if I'm uh, hitting you with this, but um, man, you know, people, Rico, it's a little confusing. Racketeering activity, but we have conspiracy here under C in Georgia overt acts, uh, uh, criminal enterprise. What's your best single sentence, clearest sentence about what Donald Trump and the 18 have been charged with doing? Either of you? I'll take a whirl unless you want to go first, Harry. Go ahead, no, I think we should work this out together. I don't think it's so straightforward. Go ahead. Um, uh, Donald Trump and his co-conspirators allegedly violated uh, multiple Georgia criminal laws uh, as part of operating as uh, a um, loosely organized theft ring. But instead of attempting to steal uh, money or cars or um, fur coats that fell off the back of a truck, they were uh, attempting to purloin the rightful electoral votes of Georgia that belonged to Joe Biden and to take them for Donald Trump, or at least All right, well, away let me from stop Biden. you, because we're in the business of constructing a single sentence. Gwen's already laughing. That was laughing, one but... sentence. That was one run-off. No, 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 period there. 100%. No, I, I'm saying we reached the end of that sentence, but I don't know yes. if we really got there. I want I want to be a little bit more legal and track this the uh, statute, but still stay comprehensible. So I think your idea, I think this is excellent way of understanding. It's sort of, but what, what I take it as being is there's a metaphor here. You can think of it as a theft ring and they're stealing the election. But 
let me get uh, you know a little bit more more stealing. Pre- it's no 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 it's more precise than that yeah. they are attempting to take the electoral votes away from Biden and if possible seize them for Trump so right. they that's the that's the end but but so first they're conspiring uh let me start here they are conspiring to do what it seems to me they're conspiring would, yeah so Gwen yeah, you, who I, has prosecuted I would say these things. they they yeah. are conspiring to to use lies and de- deception to obtain a ill-gotten second term and in doing so violated numerous statutes in the state of Georgia by All right. Okay, so no by, lying by the way, to officials by intimidating yeah. witnesses by etc. All right, now we kind of know our stuff I would say here, but we're flailing a little I think or at least it's when I, I so let me and I'll try to zero in. I think I'll be a, I'll be a little different from from both. So let's see. First, they're conspiring. Conspiring conspiracy to me means they're agreeing to do something unlawful. I think the thing they're agreeing to do is violate RICO uh, in Georgia. I think that what that means is they are they they have established or they're. Are they conspiring to establish a criminal enterprise? And we're defining a criminal enterprise as one that has what? An unlawful purpose and operates through a pattern of racketeering activity. And that activity here consists of at least two enumerated crimes under Georgia law. I'm I'm being more nerdy, but have I said anything wrong yet? And let me ask in more particularly, um, the criminal enterprise aspect of this is that an element that um, the the prosecutors have to show uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, or is that just are they just sort of asserting, you know, it's a criminal enterprise there, and, and we have to show beyond a reasonable doubt the two acts of racketeering activity that that they they employ. Does so that make I- sense? And then I'll get a little less nerdy here. My recollection is that's one of the ways that the Georgia statute differs from the federal statute. You don't yeah. have to prove the enterprise or the existence of the enterprise beyond a reasonable doubt. You can describe them as a loosely affiliated group that has a common purpose and committed these predicate acts in furtherance of that the conspiracy in, in this case. And the so conspiracy just, is to violate RICO. Let me ask you this. What... Do you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt here an agreement to violate RICO? And that latter part is since you can just assert the criminal enterprise, is it really an an agreement to yeah, you got to have an act and and then to and basically and the violation of two um, uh, predicate acts under the statute, predicate acts on that's the core. That, that is, is, that, is, that the, is that the core? Have I just stated the elements for the jury? The core then, area yeah. is you have, but the nomenclature is in Georgia pattern of racketeering activity. Right. That is the core thing to focus on. That is why you need to have the predicate, the 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 sufficient predicate crimes. Yeah, uh, which is the uh, you know which includes federal ones as well as 40 unique Georgia statutes, many of which are alleged to have been violated here. 
All right, so let's just put this in terms of one sentence, but use the word conspire because it's we're in C in Rico. That's what they're alleged to have done. So they're so they are alleged to have conspired. Am I right to uh, violate Rico? And that's because we don't have to prove it, but they're a criminal enterprise. They're the they're the um, the theft ring, and they engaged in a pattern of racketeering activity which basically means two of these crimes. I mean, am I right that, you know, this goes to critics of Rico, et cetera, but when all is said and done, if Fonnie Willis can show that these guys um, uh, wanted to uh, steal the election for Trump and committed two of the predicate acts, she should win? That's correct. It only takes that's, two. That's the end. And that's I haven't missed anything, right? No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let me let me yeah. say this. They have to be two distinct but interrelated crimes. So, for example, you can't have uh, a malice murder and a felony murder based on the same death, for example. Obviously, we're mm -hmm. not talking about a violent crime here, but that's you can't have two sides of the same coin. Other, it, They have to be distinguishable crimes, which we have. We have way more than that. Way more way than, more than, than I two. Mean, yeah, she okay. So let me ask you, Gwen, because you've done this kind of thing. It's a bit of a confusing, or you could just say capacious statute, especially in Georgia. When push comes to shove, have is there is there a record of juries being kind of confused or pushing back on on this? Or no. we've heard the success stories of Fonnie Willis starting with the Atlanta educators. That's just does that seem to be par for the course in Georgia? I, I think so. So again, remember the RICO statute is one of is the main statute that was used to convict the former sheriff of DeKalb County for mm -hmm. killing his rival. Uh, and so we had John Floyd as part of the team. It was prosecuted by my predecessor. But uh, juries understand the story. And we all know as former prosecutors, that's what we do. We tell the story. We tell how each bit of evidence fits into the story. And then during our closing argument, we don't list it act by act. We tell the story and we can encourage them to check different things off, which is what I imagine she would ultimately, ultimately do and why this is in paragraph form like this as opposed to just straight prose. Because now as she presents evidence during her case in chief or even on cross-examination, in closing, she can say, I have established these overt acts, you know, nine through whatever, or, you know, moving to 100 plus whatever. Of which uh, I need and the jury, yeah. Right, yeah. right. And so I actually think this indictment is laid out very well, mm -hmm. uh, given the amount of activity that's alleged. And it seems to read much easier than some of the other indictments, RICO indictments that I've seen. All right, this is a great place to start, and I think it's always useful to think about how the other guys are going to attack it and norm, so your defense perspective is invaluable here, because I'll, I'll, I'll raise a sort of counterpoint. It's all laid out, but it's not such a story to me what it is. I mean, Norm's uh, New York Times uh, op-ed today, which somehow he had ready to go, don't ask me how, uh, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 45 minutes later, 
that's a story. <clears throat> it's got four chapters. It's four things they try to do. To me, these 161 acts that are the guts of the indictment are a kind of compendium. And that's fine in terms no. of the indictment. But don't um, confuse. Wait, 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 so you're disagreeing with me, Glenn. So here's <laughs> my am. question. I yeah, am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't so, don't confuse. Yeah, yeah. The, Tell me. Don't confuse the indictment and the which is a technical, as you well know, you've right. done many more of them. I've only torn them to shreds as a defense lawyer. <laughs> Other than occasion, it is fair to say that over the years. I occasionally have represented, worked with prosecutors, been hired yeah. by the government. I prosecuted the only, I'm one of the only ones who's seen a criminal trial through to prosecute against Trump for high right. crimes and misdemeanors. Right. Right, but right, right. with rare exceptions, I'm a defense lawyer. This document is intended to be legally sufficient to get us through exactly. the That's right. Motions. It is not her opening statement. What I tried that's what to I'm do saying. So, so that's where I want to move to channel well, the opening and, statement. And yeah. to prove Norm's point, think about yeah. any other normal indictment, just a regular okay case. It says on such and such date, the defendant is alleged to have committed or violated, committed a felony to wit, and then you list the felony in the following manner. Then you miss the charges. It does not read like a story, but is a legally sufficient document to be able to notice the defendant as to what the charges are. Similarly, this is a legally sufficient document that provides notice as to where the DA is going and potentially the evidence that she has. 100 percent. And I don't mean to quibble about the legal sufficiency of the indictment. It is like 160 times legally sufficient. <laughs> but I'm just asking about, you know, the the um, important point of now having leveled these basic charges, the um, the the task of of, you know, packing them together and unpacking them in a story for a jury. And I'm, I'm focused on what you said yeah, so when is... about how this has been successful in Georgia. So I assume if it has been, it's because people have been able to take these very broad um, multiple allegations of conduct and bring them home to a jury in terms of here's a criminal enterprise. This is a mafia-like operation that's that's you know that all these things kind of come together. Can you speak right. to that? Right. And so if if this was my theme and I had to come up with an opening, yeah. you know, building off of the one sentence that we started with, you, you mentioned the lies and you say the lies occurred in at least four different buckets, soliciting high level officials, including the secretary of state, the governor, the attorney general, members of the house and Senate. And you can mention whichever defendants you want talking about uh, also influencing and intimidating witnesses in terms of poll workers and the charges that relate to that. Uh, mention submitting false documents for the fake electors scheme and, and holding yourselves out to be public officials that were not actually the truth. And then finally, all of the criminal trespass to steal or, or alter uh, voting data. I mean, that makes it very simple. Yeah, and, and I mean, in a word, cover... you get thematic, right? Right, um, right. <clears throat> and that's, okay, so let me, let me. Um, I think what all of us have recognized as a huge contribution on her part is the uh, holding accountable, potentially, the 
all the president's men and women, starting with the gaggle of crackpot lawyers and plus Jenna Ellis. Um, let me let me ask it in those terms. She actually said, and Gwen and Norm, were you surprised? She contemplates trying 19 people together. Now, I know she thinks some of them, and we all think uh, that, um, uh, and, and Gwen, you would have experience, that um, people will plead out. But I mean, really, we're not going to see a trial of 19. What are, what are, what might we, what might we see? So I, I think you're right. I think two things. One, as an opening statement, the night, literally within hours of receiving the indictment, you can't expect her to say anything other than I'm ready to go and I'm ready to go on all 19. That was pretty much the underlying message. That's what mm, okay. every prosecutor would have said. And and suggesting anything else means that you don't have confidence in your case or you think that there's a problem. It gives an opening for the, the defense teams to attack you. So she is not the type of prosecutor to let that happen. The reality is, as this case goes on, after all of the motions, after all of the discovery is shared, she may win some motions, she may lose some motions. I, I hate to, to think of that, but... Most likely, defendants are going to start to really understand what are their chances at trial. And when you're looking at some of the maximum penalties for these charges, they may be more willing to take a lesser sentence on a different charge in agreement to to testify against others in the indictment. And so while she said she's ready for 19, and I believe she is, I think the reality is, as this plays out over however many months, it's naturally going to whittle down to a select few that would rather take their chance in front of the jury. But I don't think all 19 will take that chance. In the in the Atlanta teacher cheating scandal, in the Young Thug, the YSL, RICO case, many of those charged ended up uh, taking deals. Some of them got very sweet deals. Um, she, and you know, this, the, the earlier you come in the bed, I mean, there are 19 people thinking seriously, 18, I should say, yeah, uh, thinking seriously about, do we, do we come in? I don't, and, yeah. but, but that, there's a difference yeah. here, which is, this is not the normal rules of self-preservation. There is an element in which some of these are going to lash their future to Trump. They understand no that, yeah. yes, they've, they have drunk the Kool-Aid. It's, um, so that's going to be a part of the calculus here. Some are going to wait and see what happens. Mark Meadows has sought to remove how much of the case is going to end up in federal court. So there's so many moving pieces. Um, you know, the, the, the one, the truly ominous thing for everybody who is not Trump is, once, um, uh, even if, unlike, say, in the federal cases where Nauda and D. Oliveira in the Mar-a-Lago case are clearly gambling on Trump winning and pardoning them or shutting down the cases, it's not a crazy gamble. Here, those, there's no federal power to stop the case at all um, for these other defendants. So they are looking at going to trial. Uh, and uh, that is yeah. that is gonna for a, potentially for a long time. Mandatory minimum of five years for the RICO. It can be probated down, um, and uh, but the maximum penalty is up to twenty years. 
So, um, you know, there's in uh, Georgia State Penitentiary. That's that's some kind of hard time. Now, Trump, of course, we've always been focused on him. He may wriggle out if he becomes president. But you're right. The other 18 uh, can you know, he may we can talk about that. But the other 18 surely uh, can't. Um, So what are what do you think they're they're thinking now? Norm, do you, um, you, you know, you sort of been in the mindset, um, is there going to be, and what's the sort of timing? Um, because I've always thought in the federal system, I'm the prosecutor, whoever comes to me first gets the best deal. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Well, she's already given a bunch of deals to these unindicted co-conspirators, 20 of them who are named throughout the document. We know a bunch of them. 30, but here's a good question. Who's number 20? Who's number 20 from December 18th? Is that Flynn? Seriously, any thoughts? <clears throat> so just to, I'm, I'm being a little elliptical. December 18th meeting, which is the craziest thing ever, uh, talking about seizing voting machines and the like, they talk about unindicted co-conspirator number 20. So we have to think about someone in that meeting who's guilty. So it's not a Pat Cipollone type. It's not a, you know, Hirschman type because they don't join the conspiracy. Could it be Flynn? Who could it be? Um, Patrick Byrne was in that meeting. I don't think he's cooperated. Oh, 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 or the pillow guy, maybe. Lindell, maybe. Mike huh? Lindell, for sure. It's not him. But I don't, oh. you know, we, it would be, we do, we do not have sufficient okay. information to identify who the, and it could be somebody else we haven't focused on who was there. So we just don't yet have the information. You know, we it took a while to untangle some of the mysteries of the Jack Smith indictment. And um, I don't know about the two of you, but I've been turning these pages. And every time I do, it's very rich. Every time I do, I find new stuff. And, uh, you know, I figured out after three or four days that I think uh, the most likely candidate for Smith's conspiracy number six, which he was the. He was the unindicted conspirator number 20, Harry, of that uh, oh, oh, was probably Boris Epstein. Boris. I went back yeah. and turned the pages. So we're going to have to do that for this. And that's going to take up. That's going to we're now going into a period of constant where it's going to be constant legal news. The three of us are going to be <laughs> very heavily employed yeah. because it's going to be constant legal news and not just Trump, Georgia. The other three criminal cases, the fake electors case in Michigan, possible additional state cases, all of the very important civil cases, E. Jean Carroll, the New York AG. I mean, it's Pete talking feds. Right. Surely true. And let, and let's, but let's stick to phone kind of for what, because the timeline I think is, is a little um, perplexing for outsiders. So Gwen, let me ask you on the one hand, removal, all the pretrial things, 18 um, defendants who can come up with all kinds of pretrial motions. On the other hand, uh, Georgia law, I gather, dictates that any of the 19 can call for a speedy trial and have it within about four Four months. months. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the range of plausible schedules and timelines for this behemoth case 
Well, to be honest, I think that is the biggest unknown for me if I was planning this case. Because again, loving the RICO statute as I do, I would want to still be able to tell the whole story with everybody all at once. Once you start siphoning folks off, either because they are removed to federal court, which again, I don't think is is likely. I'll say that again for Norm. I don't think that is likely. but once you also start having defendants exercise their right to speedy trial, you you no longer are able to tell the whole story the way you would would have had everybody been sitting at the table. And I say that because I anticipate, you know, if one chooses a speedy trial demand, they're going to file a motion in limine to prevent discussion about co-conspirators that are not sitting at the table with them. Um so that that limits or handcuffs the DA a little bit about being able to explain how all of this is interrelated. If someone does do this, um, Gwen, does the judge then have discretion to sever them out? Or what could the judge say if, if the prosecution really wants to keep them together? Fine. You've you've exercised your right four months from now and same for everybody. Uh, I mean, I honestly think that that would be my argument as as a prosecutor. If one asks for it, then let them all have it, which is, again, why she said she's ready to go. Yeah. Um, Man, how crazy would would that be? All right. Let's uh, let's focus on the mystery man, Mark Meadows, mystery man, Mark Meadows, who did did move today to remove. Something, uh, Norm, you know, you've you've thought about this a lot, as have I, when the January 6th indictment didn't uh, name him and even as a uh, co-conspirator and referred to him, it seemed like George Terwilliger, his lawyer, had been a miracle worker somehow um, having him cooperate without even having to plead to a lesser charge that we didn't know. But that certainly seemed a plausible um, possibility on the surface. But now he's he's charged and facing, you know, serious consequences in Georgia, given how guilty he I mean, he it seems to me he's maybe only Giuliani is as up to his you know neck or above as Meadows for these various crimes. And now he's been indicted. What do you think is sort of going on with him and the uh, the federal um, indictment? And, you know, is he possibly just talking in federal court federal before federal grand jury and still having, you know, vulnerability to to charges in Georgia and is Terwilliger no longer the magician, but the but the magician's nephew. What what's happening here? You know that old that old um, Latin legal phrase. Our profession has these wonderful old Latin right. legal pra- phrases. I'm thinking of uh, what the fuck. I mean, exactly. <laughs> that's not the phrase I would use. What, what the fouquet? <laughs> exactly. El fouquet. Not what I would use. Uh, I mean, it's so bizarre as yeah. uh, for me as an uh, you know an occasional uh, an occasional prosecutor, but mostly a defense lawyer. Like you don't leave your state 
flank exposed. I had a case where um, I had a case, a very uh, huge criminal antitrust case that I spent years of my life on. And my client, um, my client uh, wanted to, and my client cut a federal deal. And then he was uh, subject to deposition in all of the civil, the plaintiff's litigation, right? Because plaintiff's antitrust. Harry, you do that kind of thing, Ketam, for a living now. Yeah. Every yeah. time we did a deposition, Fifth Amendment. Why? Risk of state exposure. Exactly. So I don't, I don't get what is going on. It can't be. It's like two things that don't make sense. If you read the federal charges, it can't be that he's left out of the unindicted co-conspirators, except because he's a cooperator, right? They made a choice. Given yeah. what he did, he's he's more culpable than any of those. Yes. It, it, who's more culpable, Mark Meadows or Ken, poor Ken Cheesebro? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, not to mention unindicted co-conspirator number six, whoever that may be. Then you look at, like, what's going on in state court. He's totally naked and exposed. So, and it's, I mean, in Trump land, you could sometimes, uh, um, you know, focus on the possibilities just as a moron lawyer. But George Terwilliger is no, no moron lawyer. He's, he's a seasoned he's former de yeah. deputy attorney general. He's as general. good as they come. As good as they come. And he did a very adept job. The January, the January 6th, 6th committee. committee right. Extremely effective. But one place where he Meadows gave him just enough. And remember, I was on the other side for a year dealing yeah. with the Terwilligers and the Meadowses of the world uh, in impeachment. And and I have dealt with this for decades in my congressional practice, um, mix of plaintiffs and defense. He gave him just enough that he didn't compromise himself. But Garland and DOJ chose, no, we're not going to enforce the contempt resolution. I mean, it was so brilliantly done. It was so exquisite. what is right? going yeah. on here? I will give right. you my theory. Oh, OK. And then I'll pass. My theory is that he got a no, some kind of a no jail plea or like a future slap on the wrist. You know, he's cooperating and we'll see with the feds. It's left open, right? Uh, kind of, uh, you know, honor uh, on a, a, a gentleman and woman's agreement. And then he tried to do the same with Fani. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you are not getting a no jail, no jail, nothing. You're the number two most culpable person after Donald Trump. And Terwilliger just walked his client, you know, he had him plead the fifth. He was forced to testify, plead the fifth, and he walked him out. And this in, is in the Fulton result. County, plead the fifth. And, I, and, County, and having yeah. done that, having done that, it was like, ah, oh, this kind of sucks, but I still don't want it's the best I can do. Um, let's let's can do. double back. Yeah, let's double back, Gwen, to all the to the state folks who are, you know, 19 names. A lot of we 10 or so jumped out at all of us. But there were some strangers uh, to many of us, starting with the head of the Georgia Republican Party. 
there were, as Norm points out, a lot of immunity given to state actors. Who are these guys? How serious are they, you know, in it? What are their prospects for trying to cooperate against uh, Team Trump and the like? Give us the sort of shape of things so on the state I, side. I would consider those sort of the, the middle tier folks, the middle tier fish. Mm -hmm. Like you've obviously got the ones that have received uh, immunity already. Um, that, you know, led to this now middle tier of folks that, that were revealed yesterday. And I think they may be in the best position. We'll see based on loyalties and other, other things, um, as to some of them agreeing to take lesser charges in exchange for testimony. I will say this though, and I, I don't know that people realize this. I was very interested to see the fact that Fonnie weaved in the protection of Ruby Freeman and the other ordinary poll workers, because there had been some speculation that they could not be reached or protected through criminal charges as as victims of crimes, that they their recourse would have to be civil. Uh, and so the fact that we're getting to the the to me, that shows Fonnie's heart. That's the Fonnie that I know that looks mm -hmm. out for victims, especially those that are are most harmed by some uh, egregious, very egregious actors. So I also think that that. Uh, crew of defendants may also be a very prime group who didn't expect to see their names listed. Remember, this, the special grand jury foreperson said that there would be names that we didn't recognize. Uh, that's now ringing true. But I think that also may be a, a, a group that will um, might decide that it's in their best interest to, to make some sort of deal. It might show her heart, but it's also like a really great story. Of It's a black hat, white. It's amazing what they... Oh, what absolutely. I mean, and it goes to the top, what Giuliani and stuff um, did to them. Right. But let me ask, I mean, Norm makes the point that some of these higher up folks may be lashed to, to um, Donald Trump. I assume the Georgia actors, you know, are want some kind of future in Georgia politics. It won't really be... Uh, you can't do as, that if you're a convicted accolade. felon. Well, that's right. So do they uh, now are so are they um, are, are the people who are going to be able to skate by the ones who have been immunized or is is would would you think that that Willis is prepared to uh, let some of the ones she has charged, starting with the, the chair of the Republican Party? Uh, get I don't deal? know. That one may be a, a tougher call because of um, the leadership roles. I, I doubt very much she will will make any deals with leaders willingly. She may have to, depending on how motions and various decisions are decided, whether they're in her favor or not. But that would not be her first um, first play. And, and, and she's made she, them. Go ahead. Yeah. She already, you know, there's now discussion about whether Bird Jones is going to be added. In my view, McBurney's one wrong judgment was saying she had a conflict. You know, I do conflicts yeah. analysis for a living. Uh, and there was no conflict in her prosecuting Burt Jones. Be that as it may, he's the sitting lieutenant governor. He was clearly one of the main state ringleaders. He's off the boards for her. David Schaefer, very bad actor, embraces election denial former chair of the he's Republican the number Party. one bad guy in the he's the he's the, he's Mark the number one georgia. georgia he's the number right. one georgia bad guy Kathy yeah, tell us Lathan a little bit more about him norm give us a little bit more on this guy well including really, his connection to the you know command central of the of the yeah. campaign 
Um, he was very, according to, you know, the allegation is that he was a true state ringleader. We know that there was on the federal level, Trump and Eastman in Toronto, Romney McDaniel. And then in the States, people were true believers. He was the uber true believer. Apparently, he made some very uh, unguarded uh, comments that are alluded to in this complaint, not super sophisticated. He rep- He's important, though, Harry and Gwen. He's important because he represents the true face, one of the true faces of the lingering danger and harm here of this ideology of um, we're not going to let the voters choose their politicians. The politicians are going to choose their voters. This guy embraced, and he's undefiant. And he rep- he got a standing ovation. He's, he's defiant, he, you mean? Um, he's, he's unrepentant. He's defiant. He's unrepentant. <laughs> yeah. That's the word right. okay. I was looking no, for. No, yeah, okay. Um, he's, he's unrepentant. He's defiant. He just got a huge celebration standing ovation when he left the party. He's taken the grassroots of the Republican Party with him on this dangerous and, in my view, criminal ideology of not letting voters choose. Um, and, uh, the lies that prop that up, the lies and illegalities. So he, the David Schaefer's of the world are the greater danger. Donald Trump will come and go, and he's very likely going to end up in jail. But there's this ideology that has taken root in, you know, 25% of our country. I mean, that is the thing, that is the deterrence effect here. That is why Fani's case is so important right now, in my view, the most important, what Jack Smith did, what he had to do, I advocated it, narrow, focus, prosecute Trump, get it to trial, get it fast. But Fani is is putting a, a spotlight on the danger. That's why, that's who Schaefer is. And Latham and Still, to a lesser extent, are the two remaining fake electors in this case. You know, they're very tough to let go, but Schaefer, definitely not. You know, if Latham or Still would turn into a tour guide. Now, if I were Fonny, I would have wanted Meadows, just like I think Jack Smith did, complete tour guide to the conspiracy. Who is her tour guide? That's How a do good you try point. This in fact, in fact, Gwen, let's go a little bit more to the nuts and, and bolts of this, including... There, there's going to be a. I wanted to actually talk for a couple minutes down the line about the the judge, but uh, there's going to be a, a, a you know a time to set the schedule pretty soon. Jack Smith on his very simple. Uh, I I think I used uh, what the arrow versus the blunderbuss uh, metaphor. I know I know um, Norm has talked about um, uh, Hemingway and Dickens, but but his case is four to six weeks. He says. Um, we, I think some of the case, the RICO cases you've talked about what have gone on like six, seven months. What do you see as the actual legitimate timeline to try this sucker? I mean, I think it's going to be that long, whether you have 12 defendants or 19 at the, at the time, it's going to take this long as in, as in half a year. I, I think so, unless one of them becomes the tour guide, in which case, 
you know, you put that person on for a couple of days and walk everybody through it all. And that becomes sort of the trunk of your tree. And you just keep adding other tidbits of evidence as the branches and leaves from the other witnesses. Um, so I, it, it, and again, it's hard to say how long it will take because it really depends on how many defendants we have to go through in terms of their individual cross-examinations of each witness. I mean, that's right, right? Even leave, even if it were short, even if it were just the short the all, kinds of allegations in the Smith case, imagine the Smith case with 18 cross-examinations of every single every defendant. Every witness. But, but yeah. uh, excuse me, of every witness. But but let's stick with this for a while. I mean, they're going to, because she's going to have to, Fannie Willis going to have to come forward and give the judge a realistic uh, uh, estimate of how long the case will take to try. And I don't think mm-hmm. anyone is focused on the possibility that she's going to come out of the box and say, you know, oh, many months. Now, uh, one related question. I, I believe, unlike the federal system, Trump is not required to be in the chair for the whole trial. Is that is that correct? That's correct. We've tried yeah. defendants without them being there. They either even all, absconded yeah. on bail or whatever else. So, all right, yes. Harry. Uh, even yeah. even on the federal side, if Trump makes a compelling case and the judge explains his rights on the record, he waives his constitutional rights, Um, I I think there may be a way to craft a solution. I haven't researched it. I have never done a criminal case. I have never done a criminal case without a defendant, except when the defendant was stepped back for acting out. So I know there is a mechanism. Or if they're literally... You know, in the Russia, fo- you know, this pop, but yeah, I haven't. But I, they didn't try those. No, 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 no. Right. They didn't but try right. those cases. Yeah. But they, yeah. It so, seems a given to me. But I don't me. know the, Look. I don't, but I know there must be a constitutional and a statutory basis for it. Maybe it's in the federal rules because I have, I just don't remember it, but I did right, in have, the federal system, you know, I thought it was statutory. Yeah. But, but it's not in, in Georgia, but nevertheless, what? Let's say she says six months and you're the judge. And I want to get to the judge in a second in, uh, on the premise. I hope that's right, that Glenn, that you, you know him a little. What six months in the world, you know, are we, are, is this going to be scheduled for 2025? Or will they, you know, they, they can't, can they say, oh, we'll start in February and go to August 2024, right, with everything else that's going on? How, 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 how does this work practically? Well, to be honest, if you look at the calendar, either a January start might be the best thing. If you start at anywhere near November, then you've got several, you know, end of the year holidays and time off and ki- and yeah. jurors wanting to be with their families, pre-planned vacations. So you almost, you it, it would have to be a streety, speedy trial scenario if it started right. um, anytime in November or just in that last, last I term. mean, Norm, how will this work? Let's say, let's say Georgia just, you know, goes Georgia and says, okay, you asked for a speedy trial. Here you go. Uh, I don't care what other people do. I'm setting this six month trial for January, 2024. What the, what the fuck? I, is the, how's the Latin that phrase? Max, we a, a are in, I, I do not believe the country you know, you of would, what the fuck, be, the continent of what the fuck. Be, yeah. 
you would be in now Gwen, you see I use that dirty word. I should have said what the <coughs> F Fr- and now uh, Harry's going to town. You know Harry and exactly. I have been friends for over thirty years. Norm gave years, me permission. So. Exactly. I take his lead. But it is it is my podcast. Um, so I take responsibility. I think I I think that you know we're in such it's such unusual territory here. Federal judges on the federal side is not unheard of to have two federal judges consult about a trial yeah. schedule. Um, federal that may be happening, state, right? Yeah. Yeah, that may be. I don't. Uh, I don't suspect that uh, Judge Chutkin and Cannon voluntarily sit at the lunch table together <laughs> at the judicial conferences. They may be seated in the sea. They may find themselves when the placards are organized alphabetically together. Um, but that may very well be happening. I think it's pretty. I think the calculus of cases is pretty clear. One thing Trump could do if he wanted to blow matters up is try to is try to demand the speedy trial here. But there's a oh great God. risk. Yeah. There's a great risk of him doing Careful that. Careful what you wish for. That yeah. he's convicted. So yeah. Trump's game is going to be a delay game. By the way, I'm sure that right now Donald Trump's lawyer, the billion dollar Drew Findling, the billion dollar lawyer, so called. He's going to be worth a lot less when he's done failing to collect fees from Donald Trump and having to defend himself, if he does, from the kind of bar cataclysm that seems to fall upon or criminal that seems to fall upon Trump's lawyers. Be that as it may, um, um, you know, um, making attorneys get attorneys. Findling is Findling is probably very upset now because Meadows blew 30 days on the removal statute. Okay. Trump we'll was going to run well, if we have a time, 30 day clock. Yeah. He was going to run that 30 day clock out. Now, now Trump still has 30 days, but Meadows is front running him. That is a good Terwilliger move. Although you don't it's want a this different, case lingering. Meadows does have a different removal argument from Trump. Don't you agree? No. It's not, it, no. You think it's the same? You think you think if Trump? If, I think, you think it's, there's no uh, scenario where Meadows wins and Trump loses. It's. I, I. I was a little too vehement on CNN a little while ago when um, Wolf Blitzer um, read me Terwilliger's argument that these there are yeah. no Meadows crimes per se. And I excessively, vigorously said, counterfeit, uh, participating in counterfeiting electoral certificates, those are phony as $3 bills. That's not a crime per se. Being on a call where the Georgia Secretary of State is pressured, just find 11,700 votes after it's been counted, recounted, certified, and set. That's not a crime per se. So I think what's going on in this, I think the removal motion is weak. You know, I do a lot of writing on removal. Gwen and I wrote a long piece on removal in our Brookings report. We were talking about it in our sleep bedraggled. You were talking after. about Trump. You were to yeah. And, and, you know, we're nearly same. out of time. It's well, that's a question. I actually said the opposite, probably simultaneously on Nicole Wallace, and she didn't she didn't like it very much. So let's have a separate conversation about that. We are almost out of time, though. Gwen, can you tell do you know the judge here? And we've been talking about 
2024. I believe the judge is up for re-election in 2024 to why not complicate matters a little bit more. But what do you know about the person who'll be presiding uh, over you know, U.S.? Interestingly, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know this, this judge. Um, oh, okay. Based on what he's, I he's saw. A new, he's a newbie, right? He's the newest judge appointed in January of this year. Uh, he's an Emory undergrad, UGA law, uh, former prosecutor, was the Georgia inspector general. Um, but I believe this is his first ascension to the bench, first time managing a docket. And so now he's been doing it for eight months. Obviously, he's watched it during all of his prosecutorial years. Um so it was an interest, and and I I yet unclear as to whether he was specifically selected because he's the one that is the newest and therefore hasn't been dealing with this or have any particular relationship. <laughs> Welcome to the bench, <laughs> right? Or uh, whether yeah. this really was sort of a random result from the typical wheel, quote unquote, that's used for judicial assignments. You and I, I'll be honest, I'm also actually actually very surprised that they did not uh, assign a senior judge that could just focus on this and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. And and again, this guy is running for re-election. Not, not a pretty uh, coalescence of details. That I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there you go, that Norm. Chief Judge Earl Glanville did not intentionally go off the wheel and pick a judge who's only been sitting on the bench <laughs> for such a short time he I undoubtedly they spun the wheel because who wants to say, you know, I took that out of the assignment yeah. of the judge in this case. I'm going out on a limb. Everything no, I think I that's right. And Georgia he's a Kemp appointee. But we're seeing this in canon. There's there's a couple factors here. It's not just predisposition, whatever. It's having the gravitas to run this kind of uh, especially uh, for anyone who's like, say, listen to um, uh, Rachel Maddow's latest podcast involving crazy terrorist trials, you know, a baby judge up against 19 defendants, there's there's more possible bedlam afoot. All right. I'm really struck by some of the fundamental open questions Meadows, maybe even how you frame the one sentence, uh, the timing of the case, the duration, etc., that we have. I hope we can maybe reconvene as things sift out and get a little more clear uh, and give this, you know, a um, uh, a second and third and fourth take. God knows there's enough to uh, to discuss in this huge uh, indictment that Fannie Willis has brought us. So. Norm, Gwen, thanks very much for for being in this first cut. Hope there'll be a second and a third. And that's all for now.